Good morning, Fairfax. Whether you are joining us in person or online, we are so, so happy you're here. And I have just a couple things for you this morning. This last week at Fairfax has been amazing. On Wednesday night, we were able to come together as a church and celebrate Advent prayer. And then on Monday night, we had a ton of social workers coming in and they were able to shop at the Holiday Boutique for over 500 children um, and pick out toys for them. And we were just so excited at how many donations we got of toys and gifts. It was just such a blessing to be able to serve these social workers who pour out their lives for these families all the time. So we just wanted to say thank you, Fairfax for all that you did. All right, guys, this coming Friday, December 24th, we are so excited to invite you to our Christmas Eve services. We're so excited to celebrate with you. There will be five services. They're at 1 o'clock, 2.30, 4 o'clock, 5.30, and 7 o'clock. If you're interested in bringing your children for the children's programming, we will have all ages available for the first four services. And then at the seven o'clock service, we will have nursery and preschool available. And we are so, so excited to celebrate the birth of Jesus with you. So we will see you there. And since we're celebrating Christmas Eve on Friday the 24th, the following Sunday, the 26th, our building will be closed and there will be no services that day. So we will be at home celebrating with our family and friends. And we hope that you will do the same. And we are so excited to celebrate the new year with you in January. All right, Fairfax, that's all I have for you. Thank you for listening. It is a beautiful day for a sermon from Rod. We are very excited. Enjoy the service. All right. I, um, I, I'm excited about our Christmas Eve services, and I think we're going to be, I'll get a nod from back at the uh, production studio. I think we're going to be online with all of those as well, right? Online. So all five services, and so whether you're watching online or whether you're going to be here in person, and uh, I would encourage you, think about someone in your life that uh, maybe, uh, you know, hasn't been able to connect for whatever reason uh, with church, and uh, just think about inviting them to be a part of that with you. It's just kind of a special season, and oftentimes people are open to that, and even those of you that are going to be watching online, invite someone to watch online with you. All right, I want to give you a little update on our Renovate campaign. Uh, God is doing some amazing things. So it's a million-dollar campaign. That's our goal. And uh, just this week, we just went over the $300,000 mark. So we are already, uh, you know, it's a 14-month campaign. It goes all the way through next year. But we're already almost one-third through towards our goal. So $302,000 to be exact. And the other, uh, which is awesome, and the other really good news is that I had someone approach me this week and said that they would like to provide, they are so excited about Renovate, so excited about what we're doing and all the different aspects of it, that they would like to provide a matching gift of $250,000 for Renovate, which is just so cool. Can we celebrate that? That's a pretty cool thing. So uh, just so you kind of understand what that means, it means that every dollar that comes in from today to the end of the year is uh, going to be matched up to $250,000. So everything you give in terms of year-end giving to renovate is going to have double the impact. And I know that for some of you, uh, you've made commitments to renovate and, and uh, maybe some of that you were going to fulfill this year, some of you were going to fulfill that next year. Um, but I would encourage you, if God has positioned you in a way that you can, can kind of rearrange some of that to uh, see what you're able to do just in this year to take advantage of this match. We want to take 
full advantage of the match. Don and I um, have kind of split our giving for Renovate into this year and next year, and we're actually moving all of that that we were going to give next year into this year just to take advantage of that. And uh, it, it does a couple of other things as well. It, it allows us to actually complete all of the projects that are part of Renovate uh, in a more timely fashion, which is really cool. And it allows us to um, get on the task of building the homes that we want to rebuild down in Haiti. Part of the Renovate project is rebuilding homes that have been devastated by the earthquake that took place there this last year. And uh, we want to come alongside some families. We've identified some families going to be rebuilding some homes. It's really cool. But if we finish strong uh, this year, that allows us to jump on that even quicker. And uh, it's been really cool. We've had some other churches that have found out that part of our renovate project has to do with renovating homes, rebuilding homes in Haiti. And, uh, and they've jumped in and said, we want to be a part of that as well. And so given some additional money to what we're going to be sending down, we'll be sending down some other money from other churches as well. So God is just continuing to provide in just some amazing, amazing ways. And uh, I'm so thankful for your uh, part in that. So thankful for uh, this individual that has, uh, has come forward and wants to, to give this match. It's a very, very generous thing. We want to take full advantage of that. And I'll keep you posted between now and the end of the year of just like where we are as it relates to that match so that you can kind of stay current on that. All right, uh, we're in the third week of our Advent series. It's called The Gift, and it's based on just two chapters, actually a chapter and a half in Luke, chapter one and the first part of chapter two. And the first thing that we looked at the first week was the story of Elizabeth and Zachariah, and we talked about the gift of preparing. And we talked about how oftentimes we find ourselves in these seasons where they feel like seasons of abandonment. They feel like God is a million miles away, that we can't hear from God. It feels like we are going through like what the Israelites went through in the 400 years of silence. It feels like we're just in this moment of silence. But actually in these periods that sometimes feel like periods of abandonment, they are actually, they are actually seasons of preparation. And they are preparing us for whatever it is next that God wants to do in our lives. And then last week we looked at the annunciation, the announcement, the great announcement when the angel came to Mary and <clears throat> told her that God was sending a savior, a king into the world to establish a kingdom that would never end and that Mary is the one who's been chosen by God to give birth to the king and uh, the savior, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And we talked about how this was not the dream that Mary had for her life. Like this, in some respects, represented kind of some shattered dreams, but God, the, uh, Mary embraced what God was doing and gave her shattered dreams to God and allowed herself to embrace the new dream, the better dream, the bigger dream that God had for her life. And we talked about how that's just true in our lives, that when we experience dreams that are shattered, that if we are willing to give those to God, that God is often able to do something bigger and better than we could have possibly imagined. And uh, I've had some conversations with folks this week who have come up and said, you know, it's been so interesting, like that's been the season 
that I've been in is that it feels like a lot of the dreams that I had just is not the way my life has gone. And God has taken those and I'm experiencing some things, doing some things, accomplishing some things for the kingdom that I never saw myself doing. And it's all because of giving those shattered dreams to God and allowing him to do something better, something bigger in my life. And then today we're looking at the song that Mary eventually breaks into uh, in response to the new dream that God has given her. And in a, in a sense, it's like the very first Christmas carol. And uh, before we look at the song, I want to go back to Mary's response to the angel in verse 38. So just to give you some context, the, the angel comes to Mary, catches her off guard, uh, says, you are about to be you know, the mother of the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah that's coming into the world. And she listens to that, asks some questions, and then in the end, she gets to this point, verse 38. We talked about it last week. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. We talked about how that's where God wants all of us to get. He wants us to get to a point of surrender, of obedience, to say, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me, God, as you have said. Like, I want to be in the yes position to God. I want to be in the yes position to what you want to do in my life. Like, that's the definition of surrender. But I think it's fair to say that at this point in the narrative, Mary's response is one of surrender and it's one of obedience, but it's not one of overwhelming joy. Like, she hasn't gotten to the joy point yet. The joy of what's happening here, the joy of what's happening in the world, it just hasn't, the joy has not hit her yet. She's in an obedient response. She's in a response of surrender. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I want to say yes, God, to whatever it is. But there's not this sense of joy. And sometimes the same thing happens to us. Like we say yes to the Lord. Because we know it's the right thing to do, we want to be obedient, we want to be in the yes position to God, we want to respond to what God is saying, we want to be God's servant, we want to be able to say, may it be to me as you have said, but there's not necessarily a lot of joy. Uh, and that can be true in a lot of areas of our lives, but I think the place where it's maybe most true or most obvious, at least in my own life, is when that obedience and surrender has to do with money, right? Like we know that God owns everything. We know that he, is the, he, that he has given us stewardship over what is actually his. We know that God wants us to live these generous lives where we give away our stuff and all of that and that he wants us to, to at least give away a tenth, a tithe of everything. We, like we know all of that biblically, but we aren't necessarily filled with joy over it. Like we can know it, we can be obedient to it, we can say yes to it, but sometimes we're not filled with joy. Like we aren't breaking into glorious song over the fact that we are tithing. We're not breaking into glorious song over the fact that we are giving things away. Um, all of the new Christian songs that you know get written every year, I have never heard a song about how joyful it is to tithe. Like those are just not out there. 
Like, I've never heard, like, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will be joyful and give our tithes. Like that, there's no songs like that that are out there. And there's nothing really wrong with the fact that sometimes our obedience and our surrender precedes our joy. That's just the way it is sometimes, that our obedience, our surrender precedes our joy. Sometimes obedience and surrender is the best that we can do in the moment. And I think in verse 38, that's a reflection of what's going on in Mary's life. At that point, the best she can do in response to what the angel is saying to her is to surrender to that, to say, I'm God's servant. Uh, may it be to me as you have said, but there's not really this sense of joy. But then we talked about last week how this encounter with the angel is then followed up by this encounter that Mary has with her older cousin, Elizabeth. And when she gets to Elizabeth, I know we read this last week, but I wanna read it again, look at it through a little bit different lens. When she gets to Elizabeth, this is what happens. Verse 39, at that time, Mary got ready. She'd gotten all this information from the angel. She's trying to figure all this out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with joy. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, blessed is the child you will bear. And then Elizabeth goes on to say, but why, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Now, here's the deal. What Elizabeth says to her actually kind of hits Mary like a ton of bricks. It gives her this whole new perspective on what is happening to her and this whole new perspective on like the importance of the role that she is playing in what God is doing. Remember, socially, Mary was like a nobody. She was a nobody like in that culture. We're told in Luke 2 that when she and Joseph go to the temple to give an offering uh, for Jesus, for the son they've had, that was a typical thing a Jewish family would do, that they actually offered two pigeons. And two pigeons was like the offering that was prescribed for the poorest of the poor. People that couldn't give any other kind of offering, they gave these two pigeons. And given the fact that Mary was not only poor, but she was an unwed mother, it just lowered her social standing like even further in that culture. But now, think about this. Now, this woman who is just a nobody in culture walks into Elizabeth's house. And Elizabeth immediately shows her honor. Elizabeth is deferential to her. She calls Mary blessed. She calls Mary highly favored. She can't believe that someone like Mary would come and visit her in her home. And think this is her relative. Like we don't, we're usually not deferential to any relatives. Doesn't matter who it is. Like, I don't know the last time that you said to like someone in your family, like, I can't believe that I have the honor of having my brother come to my house. You know, it's just like not what we do, but like, she's like, I can't believe that you, Mary, have come to my humble abode. It's, it's this kind of response that Mary has never experienced in her life before. But Mary is even more overwhelmed by what Elizabeth says about Jesus. Elizabeth says a couple of interesting things about Jesus. In verse 45, she says, blessed is she who has believed 
that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. In other words, Mary, you're blessed because you believed what the Lord told you. You believe what, what God told you through the angel, like you believed what the Lord said. But then in verse 43, Elizabeth says, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord, the mother of God, the mother of my Lord should come to me. In other words, the baby that you are carrying is the Lord. The baby that you are carrying is God. So which is it, right? Like, is the Lord the one who promised the baby to marry or is the Lord the baby? And the answer is yes. Like the answer is both. And in just a few sentences, Elizabeth kind of unpacks the Trinity. I think about all the money I wasted in seminary. Like 90 hours, I can't believe I did a 90-hour master's degree. I had no idea that no one does a 90-hour master's degree. But all of the money that I wasted trying to understand theologically what Mary basically summarizes in like two sentences, where like in a very short period, she is declaring this. She is basically saying that the father who gave this promise to Mary is God, and the son, the baby that Mary is carrying, is God. And all of this stuff just, it just blows Mary's mind. It just blows her away. And when Mary hears all these declarations that Elizabeth's making about her, about how favored she is, about the role she has to play, all of that, and all the things that Elizabeth's saying about Jesus, like she begins to connect the dots really for the first time. And then comes the song. Then comes the joy. Then Mary moves from obedience and surrender to joy. And this is the song. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations Will call. I mean, this is hitting her like she gets this. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Now, instead of like dutiful surrender, Mary has moved into joy. There's, there's clarity now. There's release now there's there's this is not just an act of like yes I want to be obedient to God I want to do the right thing I I know this is what God requires of me no no this is like way more than that now this is clarity and release and a sense of pure joy so what's the focus right what's bringing Mary joy well two things one she's filled with joy over the role that she has the opportunity to play in God's redemption story 
she starts by declaring this. Look at verse 46 again. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. God is using me in a way that I never imagined that he could use me. Now, if you grew up in a church like I did, uh, and we have folks in our church who have come from all different kinds of church backgrounds, um, and some that have, not, have come from no church background, and this kind of their first experience in like what church is all about. But if you came from a church that's like the church that I grew up in, um, Mary's role in the redemption story may have been a little downplayed, Right? just a little downplayed, that she was like one of the characters in the Christmas narrative, but she's not, um, biblically, she's not just one of the characters in the Christmas narrative. Like outside of Jesus himself, like she is the main character. She gave birth to the divine. She gave birth to the son of God. She gave birth to the second person of the Godhead. She's the only woman in the history of the world to do that. So when it came time for the Messiah, right? When it came time for the Savior, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords to enter the world, the moment that all history has been pointing to and looking forward to, Mary was the, the human instrument that God used to make that happen. Mary's role is completely and totally unique among all of humanity, and she should be recognized as such. But even though Mary's role was unlike anyone else's in history, there are things about Mary's story that apply to all of us. The first is realizing that we too are a part of God's redemption story. That we too have a unique role to play in God's redemption story. And just like with Mary, that should bring us joy. Now, the role that you play in God's redemption story may not cause all generations to call you blessed. Mary said, all generations are gonna call me blessed. And the role that you have to play and the role that I have to play may not cause all generations to call us blessed. But those who are impacted by your life will call you blessed. And that impact will almost certainly be multi-generational. One of my favorite songs that we sing as a church is called The Blessing. And one of the verses says, may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. The role you play in God's redemption story, folks, will outlive you. It is bigger than you. It is bigger than just your life. So rejoice, rejoice in that. Rejoice in the opportunity that you have to give. Rejoice in the opportunity that you have to serve. Rejoice in the opportunity that you have to share. Like find joy in the midst of the sacrifice. Find joy in the midst of the exhaustion sometimes. Find joy in the midst of it all because, because people you will never meet this side of heaven will call you blessed for the role that you play in God's redemption story.
The other place where Mary's story connects with our story is the realization that just because God is using her doesn't mean that she's not broken. Sometimes we um, ignore our brokenness or we minimize our brokenness because God's using us in some way. And it's like, well, I can't be that broken if God is doing all this amazing stuff through me and having this impact through me and I'm doing these things to help other people and help my family, whatever it is. Like, I can't be that broken because God is using me. But that's just not true. It's, it's not that the more powerfully God uses us, the less broken we must be. Because God uses broken people. If God did not use broken people, there would be no one to use because all of us are broken, including Mary. Some of you grew up in churches that were the complete opposite of the church I grew up in. And in the church you grew up in, Mary's role, and Mary wasn't downplayed, like Mary was almost deified that she was viewed as sinless in the same way that Jesus is sinless, that she didn't need forgiveness for her sins because she was without sin. But even in the midst of her overwhelming joy over the unique role that she is playing in God's redemption story, Mary recognizes her own brokenness because she says in verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Not just the Savior, not just the Savior for all those people out there who need a Savior, but my soul rejoices in my Savior. Mary realizes that even though God is using her to bring the Savior, the Messiah into the world, and that's an amazingly unique role that she has in God's redemption story, she realizes it doesn't change her need for that savior. Just because she's bringing the savior into the world doesn't mean that she doesn't need that savior. She too needs the forgiveness that her son has come into the world to provide. She too needs to confess her sins and deal with her own brokenness and with her own stuff. So do not let the powerful way that God is using you do not let the fact that there's some good things that you are involved in and doing, don't let that keep you from dealing with your own stuff. Joy and repentance are not mutually exclusive. Joy and confession are not mutually exclusive. So Mary is filled with joy over the role that she has the opportunity to play in God's redemption story. But secondly, she's filled with joy just over the story itself. Like not just over the role that she has to play in it, but just over the story of redemption. And in the second half, so like the first half of the song, she's talking primarily about like how this impacts her. And then in the second half of the song, it's just like how this impacts the world. And she is just filled with glorious joy over what God is doing. Look at verse 50 and following again. It says, The Lord's mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he's sent the rich away. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. So when you get to verses 54 and 55, 
it's clear that this, this story of grace that she's talking about, this story of mercy that she's talking about, this story of forgiveness is all about Jesus because she talks about how God has shown mercy to Abraham and all of his descendants, which includes us, has shown mercy to Abraham and all of his descendants forever. And the fulfillment of the promise to show mercy and grace to Abraham's descendants forever is only found in Jesus. Now, as you listen to Mary's song, you realize that she is not saying that God's mercy and God's grace like lifts up the good and brings down the bad. And that's your first inclination when you listen to like, well, God does this to these folks and God responds this way to these folks is that you read that and at first it's kind of like, oh, I get it. Like God gives grace and mercy to the good and then takes down the bad. He, lift, he lifts up the good and then he, he takes down the bad people. The, the good people are the ones that he shows favor to and the bad people are the ones that he brings down. But the reality is that she's saying just the opposite. She's saying that God's grace lifts up those who know they are bad. <laughs> that God's grace lifts up those who know they need grace. And it brings down those who think they are good because they have all this money or they have all this power, they've been trusted with all this, like they think they're good and they don't need God's grace. I have a friend who has a sailboat and uh, sails a lot. And uh, I don't know much about sailing, but because of my friend, I've gotten to know a little bit more about it and I've started to read some things about it as well. And I'm beginning to learn a few things about sailing and wind and all of that. And one of the things that I've learned is that on a sailboat, the wind, of course, can be an awesome thing, uh, but it can also be a very deadly thing. And it, it's all about how you respond to the wind. Like if you respond to the wind appropriately, it can propel you along even in very, very rough seas. In fact, my friend was telling me that in rough seas, using the wind to propel you is actually better than using the motor. But if you don't know how to respond to the wind, then the wind can become a deadly thing. The wind can capsize the boat. The wind can throw you into the ocean. If you're near a rocky shoreline, the wind can send you crashing into the rocks. Like it all depends on how you respond to the wind. And Mary's responding, uh, reminding us that the same is true with God's grace. That God's grace will either lift you up or it will bring you down depending upon how you respond to it. For those who are humble and know that they are in need of God's grace, in need of God's mercy, recognize their brokenness and recognize their need for rescue and a rescuer, it will lift them up. But for those who are proud and arrogant and don't think that they are in need of God's grace and are completely and totally self-sufficient, that it will bring them down. All this to say, Mary's joy is rooted in both God's redemption story and her unique role in God's redemption story. 
On your way out today, uh, you're going to get a little gift box. And everyone's going to get one uh, as you leave. And um, it's empty. Actually, you have to even kind of pop it open, build it a little bit. Uh, It's empty because we want you uh, to fill it with something, whatever it is that you want to fill it with, and to give it to someone. And it could be someone in your family. It could be a friend. It could be someone that you're maybe struggling with a little bit in relationship and giving a gift that's thoughtful and thought through and all that would be a good thing to do. So you can give it to whoever you want to give it to. And you can fill it with whatever it is that you want uh, to fill it with. Like it could be a note. It could be something that you write personally to this person that reflects some things about your relationship or what you want to say to them this Christmas season. You can write a note. Uh, It could be something that is particularly meaningful to you that you give to them, like a bunch of $1,000 bills or whatever it is that you want to put uh, in there. Or it could be something that you know would be really, really important to the person that you're giving it to, like, you know, um, like a gift card to Pizza King for anyone that you knew that liked Pizza King. Like, it could be anything that you want to do. The point is this. The point is, be creative in what you put in this box and be thoughtful about what you put in this box. It doesn't have to be a big gift. It has to be something that's of value or anything. But it needs to be, it needs to be thoughtful. It needs to represent something for you and, and be meaningful to the person who receives it. It needs to have some intentionality to it. And I want to do this so that it serves as a reminder to each of you that each of you has a unique role to play in God's redemption story. So that as you share this little gift with someone, that it reminds you of the unique role that you have in sharing the gift. Not just gifts, but the gift of sharing Jesus. I want in in this little act of intentionality for it to be a reminder to you as you give it that I've got a role in this redemption story. Like I'm a part of this story. And, And I have a unique role in sharing this redemption story. A unique role in in sharing the gift, in in sharing Jesus. And I and I want to live that out. And and so I, I want this little gift that you give to someone to just be a symbol of that to you, a reminder of that to you. And the other thing about this little box that we're giving you is that it's clear. And it's clear because we wanted it to serve as a reminder that the gift, Jesus, is not hidden. Like Jesus has come. Jesus has entered into this broken, sinful world. The song that we just sang before I began to preach that that Jesus is near, that the kingdom has come, that that Jesus is not hidden away in some little box 
with a bow where you don't know what's inside, that you know what the gift is, that you know what's inside. Jesus has come near. He has taken on flesh. He has made himself visible. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Like the gift is visible and the gift is here. And so as you give this, I, I want, and I hope that you will not, I hope that you will not blow this off. Like I know sometimes we hand things out and it's just like, oh, okay. Um, I hope that you will not blow this off and that you'll take, even in the midst of the craziness of your week and schedule and all of that, that you'll take a moment and place in that box something intentional, thoughtful, and let that be a reminder of those two things that you have a role to share the gift and that this gift is not hidden. This gift is here. This gift is now. This gift is Emmanuel. It's God with us. Now I just wanna close this out with a couple of questions. Two really important questions and um, you know, you. This not, these are not these questions where you have to raise your hand or anything. It's just, it's just kind of you and God and a little inventory of where you are. So, and God already knows the answer. So um, there's no sense in not being honest with yourself when God already knows. So this is the first question I want to ask. Like, have you received the gift. Can't give a gift if you haven't received the gift. Have you humbled yourself before the Lord and recognized your brokenness and your need for a savior and your need for forgiveness and the fact that you can't navigate this thing on your own that there is brokenness there and there is sin there that needs to be forgiven so that the slate can be wiped clean. Like, have you received the gift? And if you haven't received the gift, like my prayer for you today is going to be that today is the day that you receive the gift. And if you have, you've already received the gift, the second question is like, are you sharing the gift? Like, have you embraced the unique role that you have to play in God's redemption story? Like, it doesn't matter whether that's a big role or a small role, it's your role. No one's story is exactly like your story. No one's experiences are exactly like your experiences. And no one has exactly the same role to play in God's redemption story that you have to play. And so have you embraced like your unique role in God's redemption story? And are you living that out in the midst of 
all of the craziness of life and the business of life and everything else that goes on, like, are you finding ways to live out your unique role in God's redemption story? God, we are so thankful for what you have done for us. We are thankful for the gift, the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of transformation, the gift of a new life. And so Lord, if there is anyone here watching online, here in the blue seats that has never really received the gift, like never really humbled themselves before you, just admitted their brokenness and, and just said, I need I need the gift. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your mercy. So come into my life as my Savior and my Lord. And Lord, I pray for those of us who have received the gift that we would share the gift. That we would embrace our unique role in your redemption story and that we would recognize that the gift is here it's not hidden the gift is Emmanuel the gift is God with us and you have called us to be a part of that redemption story of sharing that gift with the world we pray all of this in the name of Jesus the gift. Amen. Would you stand together as we